Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, unfortunately, today I've got a bit of a cold, which is why I sound so funny. Uh, but um, if you can, if you can forgive that, you can also go and find us on social media. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at Rugby Dungeon, and of course, there is Egg Chasers with me, Tim, and Phil every Sunday without fail for the last five years. If you want to know about the World Cup and the Premiership and, and, and all that nonsense, but I have a very special guest, usually found in the middle of of rugby field it's jp doyle how are you jp hey jp thanks for having me on lovely to be here yeah it feels like we've been trying to catch up with each other for about a year and a half now yeah yeah well it's just uh referees are best kept in the background aren't they? <laughs> dark dark ages uh so what have you been up to today uh today uh I'm, i've been square-eyed looking at uh games so i'm involved with coaching of a um couple of the referees so we had to well i obviously had my games from the weekend and today's wednesday so i was washing up all the games uh that i was involved in in the championship by three games i was involved in the championship to review and do a bit of coaching and then one of the guys he's a school teacher he's one of the part-timers so he came over this afternoon and we had a coaching session ah. uh, this morning i had training and then uh, this evening before bed my training again that's interesting because we spoke last week and I think you said you were watching, I want to say Wharfdale. It wasn't Wharfdale. Someone in the, in the Midlands. Who on earth were you watching? Uh, Chinner. Was it the Chinner, Chinner game? Chinner. That was the one. Yeah, it was a National 1 game I was watching. And yeah. I was thinking, why on earth are you watching Chinner? So were you watching the game or were you watching a, another official? Uh, I was watching uh, one of the refs I was working with and uh, she was doing a, she was just back from sevens. So she was then uh, moving into doing a championship game the following week. So it was a good chance for her to get uh, up to speed and get her bits and pieces done before she went into the championship. Wow. So how do you go about analysing a ref's performance then? Because that's obviously a bit different from what most people are doing when they're analysing games. Yeah. it's um, So my, my, my background is teaching before refereeing. So I kind of take that approach where I would ask the referee to, to look at two or, three, two or three things that they can do in the game that's away from what the players are going to produce. So you can't ask them not to be offside or not to fail to roll away. But perhaps you can look at the way in which you set up the scrum. Perhaps you can look at the way in which you manage offside lines. 
the way in which you referee line breaks or the way in which around the goal line or how you deal with your team of three when under pressure. And instead of reviewing the whole game, you can just take those couple of bits, focus on that so that the performer has a bit of control over what they're doing. And then, of course, you have the wider audit of the game. Look, what did you get right? What did you get wrong? What were the big moments? But the game provides you with them rather than you being in control of that. You can't control those things. That's really interesting. So have I got this right? On Mondays, do all the refs get together? Or is that is that your day to assess your game? Um, yeah, so uh, a best example I can give you this week, I did uh, a game in the Premiership on Sunday. Uh, I ran touch on Saturday uh, in Manchester, and then on Sunday I had a game in, in the, I was refereeing in, in Wasps. So on Monday, we had to go, we were in for about 11 o'clock, but by then you kind of need to have seen your game. So I had two games to watch before 11 o'clock on Monday morning, wow. even with the two games we had at the weekend. Obviously being the World Cup, we're a bit short-staffed with some of the guys over there. And then on Monday we go in and we have training uh, and then we have game reviews with a coach who would have been either at the game or already reviewed it. And then we have wrap-up sessions on all six games in the Premiership together. And then Tuesday is a longer day. We're in around 7.30 in the morning because we're all located down at Twickenham so we can start nice and early. And we work till about 4.30 where we have a couple of training sessions, a fitness session, a weight session, a swimming session. What? And interspersed we'll have... Um, We'll have coaching sessions. We'll also focus on, let's look at all the scrums from the, the six games in the Premiership or let's look at all the failed malls or let's look at all the foul play. We'll have two or three kind of hot topics that we'll look at each week and move on to the next week that way. Now, I, I, I mean, I knew that you're all professionals and I knew you did a lot of work. I had no idea that it was, it was, that, it was that intense. Yeah, but like intense is, is a relative word. It's just a working day, isn't it? It's what you guys do is what everyone else does out there. It's just well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't have swim sessions to sell pensions. Well, there, look, there are swim terms in the very loose set uh, <laughs> selection of words. There's a couple of us who are ex swimmers, so we do a bit, but a lot of them are just running up and down the pool stretching. So ah. <laughs> some of them are in the hot tub. So I wouldn't be feeling too sorry for any referee. Not that anyone would, but. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, so once you've done yours, do all the Premiership referees then look after other refs, or is that just something which you're doing uh, you know, on, on the side? I think because I'm getting bloody old now, um, yeah. I have the opportunity to pass on my useful or useless tips to some of the people who are coming through younger, and we work in pods. So there's a, there's there's sort of decanting of information downwards. Um but it depends on where you are in your refereeing career to who and what you'd be looking at. But even referees on the way through can still mentor referees at level four or level five or level six, seven, eight, even referees starting. So there's always there should you should always be a sharing of information because we're a small, little, geeky, weird world. We do need to help each other out. And you can't always have coaches come to every game. So even if you're a starting ref, let's say you're doing, I don't know, London, London level eight. You still need someone to help you to say, look, maybe maybe try this or maybe stand there. Or wouldn't it be better if you stood on the, this side of the scrum to see what the scrum halves are doing or whatever it may be? Someone has to teach you. And I think that's um, that's a large part of what our role is and what we should be wanting to do. Now, uh, just going off, off topic, I've literally just thought of this now. Um, does it amaze you when you hear about things like, for instance, the NFL officials all still being part time? considering the amount of time that you guys put into the sport yeah 
they, they are part-time. I think they've gone full-time in the last 18 months, the NFL. I official. thought they would strike over that. I thought they didn't do they, it at the end. They did, and then they, they got... They got they're they're pretty well paid those NFL officials. Look, everybody wants to be paid more. I'm sure they do too, but um, the fee they get is quite hard, and they work as a as a unit. But again, their season is only 16, or I think it's 18 regular. Yeah, something like that. So which they play 16 games, and then if they're in the knockouts, there's four more games they can do. So you take a rugby season, which is 11 months for a referee. The NFL season runs from uh, preseason for them runs mid uh, end of August, and then Super Bowl is second or third week of February, I believe. So it it you know it's quite a short season. Yeah, and you know I think a lot of those guys might do basketball too, not top level basketball, but I think they go from yeah, football are, to basketball. A lot of them, and they might do hockey or you know they they are baseball. They they they're almost professional zebras. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just give me a bit of background about yourself I mean obviously you've got that strong is it Bergam accent or Liverpool accent there no not quite Dublin obviously <laughs> Dublin accent yeah so how have you ended up uh, refereeing in um, in the premiership what what was your route into this into this profession um I I my father was a referee but that's kind of not how I got in that's kind of the simple story oh my dad was a ref so I refed um I was playing in Ireland and a club called Turner College and I was playing for my university team on weekends. I could play two games a week back then. A lot of people, I think people still do it. Yeah. Uh, there was no problem. Uh, but I suffered a pretty pretty hefty back injury where I had a couple of spinal fusions. And it took me a couple of years to come back. And playing more than one game was really difficult. So when I came to England to go to St. Mary's um, College, which is the teaching college in uh, Shrewsbury Hill, Twickenham, I would play on a Wednesday for my university team. But then... It was too difficult to play, and so I tried playing for local clubs on a Saturday. For they give you fifty quid or sixty quid, maybe if you if you play at a reasonable level, they give you a few quid. Um, but I found that very difficult, so I started refereeing because they give you twenty, thirty quid and a few beers, and that seemed seemed pretty easy to do. Do you could do I don't know London Nigerians versus London Cornish, yeah, <laughs> third, and you'd have a brilliant time. You'd have just the best day out. You'd have four or five beers, and they'd give you twenty five quid, and you were you had a great day, they had a great day, and there was no no hassle. And that's kind of how I got into it. And then, as bad as a ref I may be, I was a worse player, and I <laughs> stick with being a bad ref. So, I mean, you've obviously got a love of the game. And yeah. what I really struggled with, I mean, even when I've, um, I've, I've refed two games, uh, a dreadful standard, and I've run touch, and every time that I do any sort of officiating, the biggest problem I have is, I can't help but watch the game and forget that I'm actually running it. I can't imagine how hard it would be doing that in the Premiership with the stand. Well, with the with the quality of the standard. Oh yeah, like I caught myself at the weekend one of the tries in the corner. I started laughing when I saw it on the screen because the finish was so sublime. I was like, oh, I even said on on the telly, holy moly! I <laughs> it any stronger because it's what some of these guys can do. Even from a neutral point of view, watching it, it just it takes your breath away, and you you admire it and go, my golly, that's and then you switch back into referee mode. But you know there are players out there, and that's the best seat in the house. That's the great thing about refereeing, is you see one of, and even if you're refereeing, say I don't know, a schools under fourteen game, you see wonderful rugby players, children doing wonderful things on the pitch that brings them great joy, and you can kind of have a. a residual joy off that and that's that's how you get into refereeing that's why you love it because you, there's an arrogant there's a slight arrogance if you think to yourself 
I want to referee this game because I want to make this the best game that these children or these players or these club guys can have. They're going to have the best day because I'm here refereeing this. Not I'm going to referee this game so well, but I really want whoever I'm here with, I want them to have a great day because if they have a, a really good day, I'll have a really good day and wouldn't that be wonderful? And that's kind of the great thing about refereeing that you see around the clubs on a Sunday morning that you, you see in the local leads, my local club, Teddington, you see it with the Teddington firsts or seconds or thirds. They're having a great time. And that's, that's rugby and that's why we love it. That, that's, that's interesting. I've always wondered why a referee would become a referee. And here's my thinking, because I had this l- a long conversation with uh, Tim Cocker from um, I, I, I assume you know Tim from Round yeah, the Tim, Round. Yeah, yeah, Tim quite a lot. Great guy, yeah. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say he's a great guy, but but we'll leave it there. Um, he he wanted to be, to become a ref, and I, I was asking him like, why? Because when I play rugby, the thing I love the most is the camaraderie with your teammates and so on and so forth. Um, and I think being a, being a referee can be quite a lonely experience because yeah, you're sure. on either side, and particularly lower levels, it's you usually just you. JB, you can say it because everyone hates you. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I always make the effort to make sure I know the referee's name and you know, basically everything I can possibly it's, do. Not because I care, because I want to influence him. It can be a lonely place. You sit in the dressing room, it's two o'clock on a Saturday, it's an hour for kickoff. You're there an hour early because you're respecting the game and only four players are there from the opposition. Three of them are smoking behind the sheds. And <laughs> it, can, it can be a bit of ramshackle. Yeah. But when you get on the pitch, you're not asking the guys to like you. You're just hoping that they work with you, like a working relationship yeah. for the next two hours. And then afterwards, a lot of the time when you don't like the ref, you don't like the shirt. You don't like that guy who's stopping me being offside or that guy stopping me pinching the ball or whatever it may be. But you understand his role. You don't like the opposition for the 80 minutes you play them, but you understand their role. And yeah. then afterwards, you kind of have a an armistice. You just relax and get into it. And you might have a beer with the ref. You might not, but a lot of people do, or the Alakadoos might. And that's where the, the the social interaction comes. And whether you're refereeing Premiership for ten years or you're refereeing level eight for ten years, you're going to see the same players over and over again. Yes. And that's where you build a relationship. And the one thing about one thing is very different for I guess players and the ones I speak to quite a lot, and fans and coaches. Players don't remember what game you refereed them in. Unless you did a really big game and there was a a big moment, they might remember, oh, he was in that game. But generally, if you're refereeing them over a period of time, they remember how you treated them. Were you rude? Were you dismissive? Were you arrogant? Were you difficult? Or were you trying to work with them? Were you trying to talk to them? Were you trying to help them if they were confused by what's happening on the pitch? And how you treated them is, is, is your legacy, not how good of a ref you are or how bad of a ref. Coaches will have a different take on it, of course, because that's their, that's their job. And fans will remember, for example, you can referee a club and they can win 10 games on the bounce. They'll only remember the 11th game they lost yeah. or the first game out of those 10 games in a row that they lost. That's, you're associated with the, the negative and that's perfectly fine. That's the role and that's grand. But players, they're hard pushed to say, oh, we lost we lost that round 12 game four years ago with you. That was 36-12. They don't remember that. They just remember, oh, you used to ref me in my career and you were a terrible guy or you were not the worst. The <laughs> well, that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, do you ever think about your style of refing? Because I, I mean, 
I think of certain referees, and they've got a very distinct style. So I always think, say, I think Matt Corley is a very precise referee. And obviously yeah. people talk about Wayne Barnes and his communication. And there's, there's lots of different styles. Do you, are you aware that you might have a style? Yeah, I, I think you work on it, and you work on your, your strong bits of your style, and you work on the weak bits of your style. Um, it's very hard to say, well, you know, I want to be a, a referee where there's loads of ball in play or whatever, because you're you're not fully in control of that. Mm. But if you're a referee who says, right, what I'll do is I'll always be on top of the breakdown, and as best I can, I'll inform the player that there might be the tackler in the way, so don't go for that ball, because that's not coaching, that's information. You might tell the guard as the, the rook moves, just take a step there, please. That's not coaching, that's information. And you say, well, I want to be the type of referee that lets the players have all the information they need to make the best decisions. And from there, you know, as, as you guys say on your show, let them play. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So where do you draw the line between information and coaching? Because there's a very famous clip of James Haskell saying, sir, uh, with the yeah. old fo- with old foxing in Italy, and the ref said, sorry, I'm, I'm not uh, your coach. Yeah. What's the distinction? Um, it's really difficult. I think if you're if you're giving information that a coach would get. I remember I accidentally I I did a game once and Exeter uh, Rob Baxter got a bit grumpy with me. Fairly enough, and we chatted about it a week later. That as a player came through, he wasn't allowed to X or Y. He wasn't allowed to pick the ball up, and he wasn't. So I told him to kick it. <laughs> he kicked it through the rook and went running after it. And I realized, as I said to him, geez, he wouldn't have done that unless I told him to. That's JP, that's coaching. Yeah, so that's interesting, you isn't kind, it? You kind of learn from your mistakes and you, you'll have set phrases and set information that you can give out because it's your job to be neutral. It's your job. Your job is to keep an eye on what's fair and unfair. And that includes you as a referee. You need to make sure that you keep an eye on yourself, that you're being as fair as possible throughout the game, which is Trust me, it's more difficult than it sounds to keep that balance all the time, to remember what happened in the fourth minute is as important as the 76th minute. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, I've never really thought of that. But if you're in a ruck and, for instance, I've got my hands all over the ball, even the fact that you've said hand, like, hands away or you've given me some information to make me change my mind where otherwise I would have give, given away a penalty. Well, I mean, if, if I'm the opposition player, I might, I might be fairly angry with that because I want the penalty. Correct, but if the player, as he's going for the ball, the rook has formed to his left and he can't see it and it's simultaneous as he wants to go for the ball and you're saying, geez, I don't think this player knows that information. So you shouldn't just say hands away. We do say hands away, but the, the, that's the abbreviated version. The long version is hands away. The rook's already been formed by these two guys over there. Yeah. But if you said that, it would take forever and... Doing it with your heart rate at 160 while running around at high speed is, well, medium speed in my case, but <laughs> it's it, it's more difficult. So we do have these abbreviations, but the abbreviations are there f- for a reason. And in our reviews, they keep an eye on how many times we speak at the breakdown. They say you spoke 16 times at the breakdown, but what's more important is you spoke nine t- nine times to the to the black team and only six times to the green team. How interesting. And like, oh, right, okay, well, is that because they competed more? No, actually, they both had the same amount of jackal attempts. Oh, right, so why was I giving so much information to one team and not another? So to keep an eye on the game on that, you really have to be careful with your words because every word we say on the pitch because of the microphone, we are liable for. 
Yeah, I, I mean, could you put it down to good captaincy? The reason that you're talking to one team more than the other? The right questions? I, I'm, maybe sometimes, because it's not questions. It can be to do with speed of ball. It can be to do with the way the game is going, the weather, how many jacklers, what type of team it is, what the score it is. There is a million factors that go into every game. And that's why it's so important to referee each game for its own merits, because they change you can't it's very hard to say well you could have two running teams that are playing each other one week team a and team b and they all they do is run the ball but they know that so they cancel each other out by having much better defense and kicking the ball down the field and chasing it so two running teams all of a sudden become two kicking teams for their own reason so you might have prepped to go in for one type of game but it's a completely opposite game yeah no no as a ref how long does it take you to develop the confidence that you know better than the players? Because I imagine coming up the system... You definitely don't know better than the players. That's 100%. Not a chance. Well, at some point... I mean, How can you know better than a a guy who practices his his particular skill or her particular skill for years, day in, day out? And you... Like, how can you know better than a prop? Well, that'd be my next question. All the time. You can't know better. It's impossible. You can't, but I guess you're going to have to draw a line in the sun and either pretend... Or come to some sort of accommodation. Because I always think, say if you've got a matchup, John Othoa against some academy kid. And John Othoa says, he's yeah. doing X, Y, Z. I mean, there is a danger there that John Othoa is just pulling one over on you. Because you're oh, not going to say, hang on a minute. 100%. And he, John Othoa could just be sore because he, he played too many games or he could have overtrained or he could have got out of bed on the wrong side and had a creak in his neck. And the academy guy is revved up and he's been training. Yeah, he's ready to go. And he's just got him on two occasions. You, you, you have to treat those things absolutely uniquely each time. You might respect the guy in his position that goes, well, player A is great and player B is new, but this scrum might bring us something totally different. Yeah. Now, what we try and referee is the triggers that where we work with, say we do a lot of work with Neil Hatley, uh, the England scrum coach. We have the, all the premiership scrum coaches feed into my boss, Tony Spreadbury, and they give information in about, you know, so this season we're working on the gap again. So they're talking about the hooker's break foot and how changing that changes the weighting going into the scrum. So you'll hear referees using these key phrases that their coaches have told us about that they want us to look at. So it has to be a collaborative effort. It's not just us going, oh, I know all about scrum. I'm five foot five <laughs> at best. And- well, but, stone. I know. No, that's that would be nonsense. But I mean, even the even the coaches when you go work with them, do you ever feel that you might be being misled to say, "Hey, look, we are working on the gap," but actually they're working on something far more underhand. Yeah, but that's that's up to them. That's their that's their prerogative. They can. Yeah. They it's their job to win games. It's our jobs to to ensure fairness. You know, the the two jobs don't they don't meet. <laughs> but we can have information, and often my boss will meet with all the premiership coaches together and yeah. they'll all say, oh, we're okay. We could get a bit quicker ball here or we could have better scrums or better lineouts, or we need blah, blah, blah. We're too hard here. We're too soft there. And then we can referee within where will be rules and guidelines, everything, what our competition is telling us to referee and what they want to referee to our best effort. And then after a period of time, if we're doing it badly, they'll come back together and say, Lads, you're getting it wrong. Can you do why? And that's okay too. Okay, so let me just let me just give you a scenario. Say you are refereeing the breakdown, 
and there is a jackler there. Jackler steals the ball, but for whatever reason it is, you deem it illegal. You blow the whistle. Jackler gets up and then explains to you what he was doing, and it becomes apparent that maybe you were wrong. Yeah. How as a ref- how as a referee do you yeah, deal with that? Do you just file it away? No, you just you just go. What you do is you tell them the view you have. Yeah. So yeah. you hear referees talking about painting pictures. So I might say, player X, let's let's name Neil Back, a retired player. I saw you with your forearms on the ground, and then you were cleared back on the ball. And he said, no, I didn't. I touched the ground, but I brought myself back. And you're like, right. And then you look at the screen, and he's right. But the picture he painted was poor in the beginning because he, if he wants to steal the ball or say clear release, he thinks he clear released the tackler on the ground, but you don't see it. The clear release is you have to show the referee clear release. That could be one inch, that could be one meter of release, but the referee has to see it because you have to allow the guy to place the ball. So it's important Uh, the pictures you paint for the referee because it works both ways. Whatever works one way will work for his team in opposite. So a quick quick question on on that then, a little geeky technical question. Uh, Does it work when you clap after the after the tackle's made to show the referee that you've released? Well, uh, it does because it, you, you know, if you, it, in effect, you are showing you have clear release. I think that came from the Kenyans on the sevens. I think it might as well, actually. Years ago, I think, I, you know, in my own rugby geekiness, I think that's where I saw that coming from. I think the, the big thing around clear release is as they bring the player to, the player who stays on his feet as he brings the player to ground has to show he's no longer part of the tackle. But the guys are brilliant at it now. They, these guys yeah. practice these skills all the time. They're unbelievably good at what they do. Yeah. But sometimes they can be just unaware that from the angle they are, the referee can't quite see their release. That's why it's an unfair practice. So you must have to be very conscious or work very hard that after you've got something wrong and you realise you've got something wrong, that you either say, look, I'm going to deal with that later and almost not to subconsciously try and even it up in some way. So you have to have a strategy going into games, knowing you're not. Are you going to get everything right? No, you're not. You're 100 percent not. And you're going to look at the screen, and if you're Premiership grounds, and you're going to see every penalty gets replayed on the screen at a Premiership ground. So that's pretty tough going for anyone who did a job. If every decision you made in work was replayed in front of everybody every single time, and that's that's, <laughs> that's just the parameters we we work with. That's fine. But you go, right, I didn't get that one right. Why didn't I get it right? What do I do next about it? How do I deal with that? And I've had incidents. If you get the wrong decision, if you get a certain decision wrong, the ramifications can be bigger because the wrong decision might mean, well, it was it's a wrong decision, plus it's on a line break, plus it's an opportunity to score. So that means it's a yellow card. Or plus X and Y means it's a penalty try. So a wrong decision can get exasperated so, or exacerbated. So that's why we need a bit of luck. If the ones you get wrong, you hope have no impact on the game. But that's where luck comes into it because you're making the best decision you can as often as you can and you're training and you're reviewing and you're getting coached and you're working yourself and you're prepping going into games. But you're doing all that to reduce the amount of problems and errors and issues you have. It's not You can't get to zero. The the standard deviation can't be zero on that. Uh, now, uh, it's a very a very similar question, so I apologise for that. But uh, on, on the counter side, can you think of any clear examples where you've made a decision under pressure from a player in in his in his sorry to his advantage? So you know when a player has clearly pulled the wall over your eyes for whatever reason. Yeah, but like that's almost a skill in itself. If you can do that. <laughs> 
if you can pull off the ultimate con job, well, <laughs> so be it. It, it. it does happen. Like, I don't know, one of the first games I ever refereed was an A-League game at Wasps and Lawrence Delalia was playing and he patted me on the head. <laughs> he just, he patted me on the head after a penalty and went, just, just pat, you're doing grand lad. And I just, I didn't know, I was just stunned. I didn't know what to do. I was being patted on the head by Lawrence Delalio. Like not as in, like literally on, like, like pop, pop on the top of my head. And I was like, I really don't know what to say to that. No, what, what do you say? Well, I guess it's like whoever ref the walk. I, I just had an out of, you know, you kind of got, you, you, you pretend you're looking in from the sideline. You look, you look at that, look at that ref. He's just got, Tapped on the head, on the top of the head, not the back of the head, or as a well done thing. Like because he's so tall and I'm so small, he just popped me on the top of the head. <laughs> I was like, fair enough. Uh, well, I, it reminds me of the ref who did the World Cup final for England Australia when England won it. And what was the? You know, he he basically got a little speech off Jason Leonard about how good Jason Leonard was at scrimmaging, and then went and scrimmaged scrimmaged away. Uh, yeah. I think that, that must be the same sort of thing. I mean, what do you say? Yeah, look, there is, like in any job in the world, if you are seen as the best practitioners, you probably get subconscious leeway. That's, and you just have to try and block that out. Um, you walk into someone who's an ideas man in work in a creative environment, whatever idea comes up on, people say, it isn't that brilliant. But if you stand back from it and go, hold on, that one wasn't so good. Yeah. It's the same as refereeing a, a great player. And there are great players out there. You can, you can recognize them. If you're refereeing Johnny Wilkinson, he's a great player. You know that, but Johnny Wilkinson could make an illegal tackle, or Johnny Wilkinson could come up wide. So you have to try and you you have to try and acknowledge the potential in your mind to to be leaning one way or the other, and then say I need to be in the middle of this. Now, there is good evidence out there that home teams get an advantage from ref, from referees or the rub of the green or or, or, or or whatever it is. Have you ever been intimidated by a crowd? No, the crowd is—it's just ambience. It's just wonderful. Like it's—it it adds to the to the moment. To be honest, a lot of the time when the crowd do something, it's in reaction to a decision you've already made. So it's already done and dusted. That's a, a good point, actually. Of, but know, it... if you're if you're at a place with sixty thousand and the stand is quite close to the pitch, and you make decision X, and they believe it should have been Y, that's fine. There's no problem there. They could be right. You could be wrong. Who knows? And they are booing and hissing and chanting, and you're in France or you're in somewhere <laughs> yeah. in the West Country, and it's. But the decision's already made. You've you, you've already done it, so it's not as influential as you think it might be. Yeah. So there's no there's no part of you when it goes on the big screen and you've got to review. You did uh, did the shoulder make contact with the head first, head neck area That's, first. Yeah, just you're always look. You come through as a referee. You learn your craft, your trade. You try and not be awful <laughs> try and improve as you go along and be the best you can but when you're making decisions off the screen that's a whole different set of skills isn't it yeah, yeah. You're, you're now you're now instead of my decisions going up on the screen okay did he roll away was he offside whatever it may be you're now you, you stand there while the whole crowd stand with you looking at you making a decision either for or against their team and then the same around the world if it's a game that's on telly and it's in England or the UK or it's in Europe or it's in the world or it's even, you know, it's global. So you make a decision. It's a global clip. It goes on the rugby websites as a global clip. He said it instead of and here. Isn't that where he made his mistake? That is difficult. It's a difficult skill. 
Now, just just on the whole thing about crowds too and stadiums. I mean, I assume that you guys are all that you're all blooded in a very sensible way. So by the time you get to international, you know, you're ready for it and you're not uh, 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 overawed. So how 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 do you deal with the nerves of a big game? Because I'm I'm sure it's still I'm sure I'm sure it's still quite a, quite a frightening prospect, particularly if it's your first one. Yeah, I, I think I've I have talked about this and thought about it quite a lot. One of the differences we don't have to do a physical execution of skill. So let's say you're really nervous scrum half. You know you got to make sixty passes and ten tackles in the game or whatever it may be. If you're a, a kicker, you've got to kind of have to kick four out of seven kicks a goal or do the kickoffs or your hooker, your line out throwing. There's a physical skill involved that nerves makes it, you know, you got to settle into the game. Refereeing, you might mentally jump too quick and your first two penalties are too quick. That can happen. But there's an easier adjustment there than, than perhaps players would go through, if that makes sense. Because yeah, it it, it, it's, it's a cognitive skill. Yeah, we do run around and... If you're me, you get run over quite a lot. But generally, it, it's it's a cognitive-based skill rather than physical. There's physical elements to what we do, but cognitive outcome. Uh, do you think refereeing is getting harder? It, that's subjective, isn't it? What do you think? <laughs> yes, uh, 100%. Yeah, I don't think that facetiously. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think it's getting much I think, well, I think there's two elements to it, isn't there? I think referees are getting a lot more guidance as to the outcome that the authorities want. So the high tackle decision tree, or whatever that's called, that that's yeah. quite a nifty piece of fr- framework. Yeah, yeah that's the one. Um, yeah, that's pretty nifty because it gives you a really good indication of what you need to do. On the other hand, you know, if you were refereeing, say, 15 years ago when it was still a bit of the Wild West, you could throw a punch, this, that, and the other, maybe that was easier because you didn't have to be quite as accountable as you are now. Yeah, and I, someone was asking me about this the other day. Like, So the best example I can say is the difference between football refereeing and, and rugby refereeing. And I probably won't give you the example you, you think I might. So, for example, in football refereeing, you're running up the pitch and the, the right winger has the ball, the right full forward has the ball, and he gets... Um, brought to ground, tackled, either legitimately or not. Every player who's on that pitch is looking to where the ball is on the pitch. They'll have an opinion on whether that player was fouled or not. Yeah. And you're the left back and the goalkeeper. You can have an opinion on that. And you probably have a decent opinion because you understand what it is. You have clear line of sight and you can see it. In rugby, when I blow my whistle, a lot of people who believe I'm right won't actually have seen what I'm talking about. So you'll say in the side number seven, whatever it may be, whatever decision you can think of, offside 13, there might only be two or three players who are aware that the offence, two or three players on the pitch are aware of that offence actually taking place. Now, more viewers at home might see it because the camera's focused on it or whatever else. So players automatically just react to the whistle. It's just like Pavlov's dogs, they just automatic whistle goes, I've got to go back 10 metres or we've got to get on the attack or whatever it may be. Where in football, if you want to go talk to the referee, he's not where the ball is. So you have to run to him. Ah, uh, yes. Right, so if you ever hear Brandon Driscoll talk about being captain from, from the 13 spot on the pitch, he found it very difficult because even if he wanted to go in and tell the referee he wanted a shot at goal, he had to run over to him. 
and that can look either like you're complaining or it's aggressive or it's very and if you walk over you might be too late before someone taps and goes and it's the wrong decision or if the decision's against you you're running in from 13 when you're meant to be going back 10 so there's a lot of talk about well it's very hard to captain rugby outside of the the, the numbers one to nine well rightly so um yeah well one to eight maybe no one to nine <laughs> but that th- there is a fundamental difference in 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 the sports now you can say well you know they're nicer to rugby refs than they are to soccer refs but i think that's the biggest difference between the two is the fact that everyone football has fairly basic rule structure tackling you can only you either bring them down or you <clears throat> bump them or you don't like there's only so much you can do where rugby has a uh, a very complex structure that's that's quite difficult for the uninitiated to to know. Yeah, it is. So yeah. people will go with decisions and kind of go, mm, okay. And even people who've been watching rugby for a long time will just say, yeah, that that seemed the right decision. I'm okay with that, even if they're not fully aware of what the decision is, and they see the game progressing. Where in football, everyone and everyone viewing can. And if you look at match of the day, half a match of the day is taken up with talking about the referees' decisions because everybody can have an opinion on it. Yeah, I mean that's actually a really good point about um, about the distance of, um, of the ref, and something which I've which I've never really which, which I've never really considered. Um, you mentioned the uninitiated there. Do you, do you ever feel that you've got a responsibility to explain the laws of the game not only to the players but to the viewing public? Because of course, a lot of people who watch international rugby haven't got the foggiest idea what yeah. is going on. I, I I think it's 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 complex, difficult, isn't it? Because if you're talking as much as I am on this show, for example, it's bloody annoying to listen to me <laughs> on the telly blabbering on about stuff people don't care about. But at the same time, if you don't give them enough information, they're they're not following your decisions. The, the best referee decisions aren't the right ones. They're the ones where people go, yeah, I, I understand that. I follow it. I might have done something different. I think he could have done this. But I understand. And a lot of times in rugby, there might be two or three legitimate outcomes for a decision it's not just well it should have been x or it should have been y you'll have people saying well i think i think it could have been two yellow cards i think it could have been none i think he could have played on you know and everyone has a reasonable argument but if you can follow why the referee made his decisions i'm putting you in the bin on this penalty because i've warned you before on the previous one and that had an effect on the game so that's why this player is going to the bin players go oh i'm glad he explained that because i thought it was just for that one-off innocuous offside so i think that's where explanations help but at the end of the day <clears throat> people don't watch the game to listen to to me and my silly irish accent talking that's it so yeah that that, that that's interesting and i always think is there a role for premiership referees or indeed uh, international referees to take the role of nfl officials turn off uh, sorry turn on their mics to the stadium to explain a big decision, for instance, a red card decision or a maybe not penalty decision because because they're too frequent. But there again, the NFL but refs are explaining every decision. Be the easiest decisions that don't need explanation. You just see it on the screen. You go, well, that guy's sent off. Yeah, that that's. Yeah. I don't know actually. When do you know when? You know, there, there are some great examples of referees breaking down decisions. You think that is bloody brilliant because that you know they've gone back you know a couple of phases and they've explained that you know the tackle height has gone up and then there's no covering tackler. Yeah, I actually think it. it Sometimes it's quite obvious, but other, other times it isn't always the case. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think you then have to have a feel for those moments and the better referees will have a better feel for those moments and they'll prove it time and again under pressure that they can make sensible, followable decisions. And 
as long as your explanation matches the picture on the screen, then the decision is up to you. There, there, there might be more than one outcome, but your, your words have to match the screen. That's, yeah. the, that's the skill. That's the difficulty and saying, right, I need to calm down, look at this, wipe what I saw on the pitch. Don't look, not what I saw, thought I saw. I need to see what's on the screen. What evidence do I have? And let's make a good decision from this point on. Um, now, I'm just going to change the subject slightly. Um, uh, we chatted by text on Sunday, and I hope you don't mind me bringing, 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 bringing this up. But one of the highlights of the Wasps game, or certainly for the commentary team, was your interaction with Blair Cowan. You weren't particularly happy with yourself, though. Yeah, I, look, the whole thing is Blair's a wonderful guy. Wonderful guy, and he was just, he didn't understand a certain thing. And as I re-explained it to him, he wasn't happy. And I should have... Communication is two ways, right? And maybe it can be received better, but it can always be... It can always be conveyed better. Yeah. If you look at that, I didn't convey perfectly. I didn't... didn't, There was a way in which I could have kept my word per minute slower. I could have been calmer. I could have kept my body language better i could have made it better for him so the outcome was the correct outcome but perhaps perhaps i could have been more helpful to the outcome and that's all it is it's looking it's their game it's not for me why would i want to get annoyed at what's happened on the pitch so it's their game it's not my game who am i to behave in a way that is not that's the way I I would want I want to be spoke to on the pitch. See, I, so I, I found it that... might only be a word or two, and no one else might notice it, but I might notice it, and I think I can convey better than that. Yeah, I, I found it. I found that fascinating because I actually really, really, really like that moment because it was genuine. You're you're not the sort of referee that likes to wisecrack every five minutes, and you know we can talk no. about that another time. Um, and because and also the commentary team liked it because it, again it was kind of a little bit a little bit unexpected. And I think it's a really healthy attitude that you have, which is actually, no, no, I should have conveyed myself better. And you know, what could I do to, to improve it now? As it happens, I think it's a very entertaining mo- mo- moment for everyone. But it's, it's just about, it, it shouldn't be about the ref. Yes. Completely. No moments in the game. That should be about the ref. It should be about the guy in the yellow Jersey. That's fine, but it shouldn't be about the ref. And the best moments I have on the pitch are, said very low you can't hear them on the mic they're a giggle they're a look they're an expression with someone they're the best moments the best moments isn't having a wisecrack at someone and making them feel bad like why would you want to do that <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't i don't understand but that's fine that's just not the way i'd i want you can have fun with the players when a player cracks a joke with you you can laugh and have a nice time uh-huh. you don't want to be wisecracking and making anyone feel bad on the pitch yeah yeah well it, all I'm gonna say is it was entertaining, but I, I do completely get your your point of view and 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 where you're coming from from there. Um, the future of referee, if you you know, if you had your way, how would you change it? We wouldn't have to wear those cameras anymore. Look, <laughs> look like SpongeBob SquarePants running around the pitch. Um, how would I change it? Um, I, I, I think. Th- refereeing is is irrelevant it's it's what's the future of the game and how does the game want our role to look in that like how good can we make rugby refereeing is irrelevant refereeing is only there to make sure the game is played fairly so what can what's rugby going to look like in 10 years the 
that's if you go back and watch the 2003 World Cup, it's ex- final the, that England Australia final. It's extraordinarily fast, but in a totally different type of way. Um, and if you look at the the play that led up to the Jason Robinson score in the corner, you look at the running off the ball, the speed, you know. Johnny goes right and Beckham goes in on the sticks. It's a different, it's a different game. But that yeah. whole build up to all of that, it, the speed and power is is there. But it's a different type of speed and power to the to this game we have now. And the athletes, like I was watching a game the other day, you see players making forty yard breaks now and then accelerating again. That's what kind of athletes you have on the pitch. They're they're phenomenal. So where is rugby going to go? Well, that'll affect where referees going to go. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. I, it's got sort of chicken and the and the egg scenario. There's two ways. Officiating is affecting the game, and I don't think it's always for the positive, or at least if it, if there is a negative side to it, it's to counteract. No, sorry, there, there, there can often be a positive side, but it's counteracted by a negative side. I'll give you an example: the TML. I'm much happier that more correct decisions will be made, but am I more? Ha- am I happy about the delays in the game? No, not particularly. Yeah, yeah, it's. it's the genie's out of the bottle there what do you do you know you want to get as many correct decisions we're coming into the last two weeks of the world cup now so we want the players to win these next what three games and the bronze medal games there's four games left we want the players to win those games we're desperate 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 i can tell you any match official who's appointed or tmo is appointed to those games is lying in their bed desperate the night before that it's won by the players that this is completely one that plays and everyone goes, wasn't player X fantastic? That's It's the fear and the goal at the same time. But let, let me pose you this question then. Do you think it's a shame that we'll never see another win like the Leicester win against Munster in the Heineken Cup final when Neil Back knocks the ball out of Peter Stringer's hands? Because that is, <laughs> that is a player win. Well, as a Leinsterman, um, <laughs> uh, no... Like, yeah, I guess there's there's been so many incidents, but that you know it, that's in folklore as well. But that was still seven or eight minutes to go in the game. That wasn't the last play of the game. So was it not? Do, do you know, it, it, always be incidents in the game that people look and go, if this penalty had gone this way, or that decision had been that, or this card, or lack of card. So you will still you're going to still have controversial moments. You look at the AR in football; they still have controversial moments. Match yeah. today, as I said, it's still taken up by controversial refereeing decisions because that's the nature of the sport it's it's just this it's such a complex game rugby i can't see how we won't have talking moments now they could like the moments could be completely correct by the match officials but they're still talking moments my god player x did something good bad and different foul play or wonderful play and that was the difference and could the ref have done x there yeah he could have no. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, there's some part of me that's very sad that we can't see overt cheating, which the ref missed. Yeah, yeah, like the '91 World Cup with Blanco and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, it could, but, could never happen now. But the game is the game is extremely physical, extremely fast. You know, it's just played at a million miles an hour now. And that there's there's when was the last time you saw a punch on the rugby pitch? It's very, very, very yeah. rare. Well, I mean, you just couldn't get away with it. Yeah, it's very rare. Uh, Even yeah, and what happens what happens at, at the top level affects all the other levels. So if you were to go down to National Two or Level Five, Midlands One or London One, whatever it may be, there is less 
violence than there was X years ago. Oh yeah, definitely. I, it's funny you mentioned. I was, okay. I was actually thinking about this either yesterday or, or the day before, which was when I was going from youth team rugby to senior rugby. You know, like when you're 19 or 18 or, or whatever it was. It was a genuine terrifying, gen- genuinely terrifying prospect because you see these massive blokes punching each other yeah, somewhere yeah. in North, in North Wales. And yeah. now, if I was to do it again, I think it'd be a completely different kettle of fish. Yeah, it's like rugby league used to scare the life out of me. I was like, why would you want to play that game? It's just everybody running into each other. <laughs> yeah, it was genuinely terrifying. Now, you get no violence in it now, which is actually good for players like me who are not particularly violent. But there again, you also miss something from it too. Well, yeah, we'll kind of leave that one out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, obviously, I don't, I, I don't want you to... Um, to give me any any names of teams, but do 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 you have certain matchups or certain teams that you really enjoy refing just because you know what they're going to bring? Yeah, but they evolve. Like I think you would have thought three years ago was the top game in the league is now not the top league. You know, it's it's replaced by somebody else. Yeah, there are the rivalries that pop up and disappear depending on the the fortunes of of teams. Sometimes great rivalries can disappear through relegation or they you know there was years ago at level five when you the likes of richmond and scottish and you know loads of teams in level five playing each other as rivalries it's it can it can evolve like the, the big game is the big game of the day and what that is can change very quickly like if i was to ask you in the premiership what were the big games two years ago and what are the big games now they i doubt they're the same games yeah, you're in football. To be fair, you're football, absolutely right. Man, Man U Liverpool is probably always going to stay as one of the biggest games, isn't it? Well, Tottenham Arsenal and Man U Man City, and you know they're they're the big games, aren't they? And they haven't changed ever. I guess the test of that theory would be what happens to the games involving Leicester in the next few years. Is Leicester Northampton still going to be a big game? Is Leicester Bath still going to be a big game? Because obviously Leicester aren't the force that they once were, but does that rivalry still endure? But we don't know because they've only played one game. Yeah, we we don't know. You have it, the game of the day is going to be the game of the day, and you guys on your show were prep. Oh, we're looking into week one. Oh my god, I can't believe this team is playing this team, and how big of a game is that? Who would have thought that? Or we would have thought these two would have been a good big game, but it's not quite the interest this week. We're more we prefer to see. You see, in the NFL, they do a thing called flex in the NFL. Yes, so they flex the games, don't they? Yeah, they'll slate. We're gonna put on. New York Giants versus the Jets, and it's a derby game in the Meadowlands, and they're having a great time. They go, actually, no, they're both garbage. They're both 0 4. So we're going to show you, um, we're going to go to the 49ers versus the Broncos because they're on a winning record. And they that wouldn't have been a big game four weeks ago, but it is now, and they just flex in and out of them. So rivalries do change, I think. Yep. Uh, now, when it's all set, said and done, and you and you hang up your whistle. Is there any game in um, in particular? Is, is, is that is that a hint? <laughs> <laughs> not at all, JP. Not at all. Um, is is there any club game in um, in, in particular that you want um, that you want to do? Or are you you fairly happy that if it all if it all finished t- t- tomorrow, you've achieved every, every, everything you want to? do? I guess it's a bit like asking someone are they happy with their their salary? You know, they might be happy with their salary, but they they wouldn't say no to. One more, one more dollar, one more pound, one more bonus, and I think everybody wants to do another big game and another big game. And why would you ever be satisfied that you've done them all? Because the next game is still the biggest game. 
So, yeah, like um, it's because you're you're proud of what you've done, but you haven't been in control of anything. You mightn't have got game X. The other guy might have got it if his team hadn't been playing and he was ineligible. Or look at the final: is Wayne Barnes going to do it, or England going to get there? You yeah. know, if oh, England get that. there and Wayne never referees a work of final, is that a slight on Wayne? Well, no, because he had no control over it. So, it. You you want to do big game, but you're you're the ref. You're not important. <laughs> Someone else will ref it if you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, graveyards are full of um, in, indisposable men. Yeah, well, the, every team in every game has everyone's replaceable. There's nobody who's not re- like you. You hear a lovely saying, "Oh, we need the refs for the game. Be nice to ref." And that's lovely, but as long as we have the numbers to referee, which is so important don't consider yourself too important because someone else can do that game yeah now um this is probably going to be be my last question i've, I've literally just just thought thought of it now but has there ever been a refereeing performance where you've thought wow that is seriously impressive because i have one um which i've just thought of now which i you know actually you say the referee wasn't the main person involved i think in, in this case he was and right and rightly so and that was the performance of wayne barnes in the last 20 minutes after after full time, between France and yeah. Wales, I thought well, that was see, awesome. He, and he did, he did brilliant. And he really knew his regulations as far as what we could replace, who we couldn't replace, how we could replace them, what time on, could the guy come back out of the bin, was the clock running. But the whole, the whole thing, why that was twenty-one minutes. The only people knew is because that particular TV company kept the clock running from eighty minutes up, where a lot of clocks might count down to zero oh, stop right? at eight, and you wouldn't have known that it went to 102 minutes. It's only that that particular TV company kept the clock running. I uh, never do that. Because sometimes you can have, just with penalties and you can kick the touch now, you can get to 86, 87 minutes, no problem. With a bin and on the goal line and scrum. Yeah. And oh, and you saw that way. Now that went to the end degree and he kept so calm and he did so well. I thought it was he, amazing. That's where he proved it. And you're not actually refereeing there because there's no ball in play. He was just um, managing and organising with the French and the Welsh what props could come on, who couldn't, who could be replaced. Could that bin come back? Are we having a reset? Can you go uncontested? If you go uncontested, how many men are you allowed to have, even with the bin? So there was a, that was just a, a, a mental agility exercise for Wayne, which he just passed so easily. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's everything which I he, like. He, which is... he did it brilliant, but... You can look at a game now, and I dare you to start your stopwatch when it goes to 40 minutes. But you'll see players, they might have been sin-binned at 32 minutes, and they start the second half, and you're thinking, how is that possible? But there's been two minutes of play or three and four minutes of play before the end of the half, and he's actually done his 10 minutes in the bin, and he's back on the pitch. You so know, the, game, the, game, the game with ball in play can be unbelievable. The kickoff now... When the players are fresh, the first time you blow your whistle, when they're because they're not kicking directly to touch anymore, might be six minutes. Uh, do you know what? I'm so glad that I, I asked that question because that is insight that I would never, I, I've never even guessed at. Yeah, it's it's just if you watch the BT games, it ends at eighty. You know. Uh, right. Well, do, do you know what? We've basically done an hour there, so. Um, I, I'm sure you've got many, many more games of, of rugby to be watching. I know it's not particularly cool or uh, helpful for referees to be on social media, but are you on social media? Can we find you? I am, but nobody would be bothered with 
get in touch with me. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing interesting. I think I've anything I've interesting to say. I've probably said it tonight. Not stretching the truth as it is, but hopefully we've given a little bit of insight. Well. JP, that has been absolutely fascinating, and thank you so so much for spending your time explaining these little the, these little nuances which I had no idea about. It's been enlightening. Yeah, no problem. Well, we hope not to ruin too many games for you in the future. Fantastic. Thanks, mate.